0: You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change.
1: Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast. I'm Ross Kenyon. I'm the creative editor at Nori's Carbon Removal Marketplace. Today I have with me Evangeline Marzik, who is one of our uh, colleagues here at Nori. This is your first co-hosting experience. Hey, Evangeline.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: So good to have you. You're Nori's head of product, and there are good reasons for having you on the show, which we will reveal as we go on. And also, Paul Gamble, Nori's CEO. Hey, Paul.
0: Hey, Russ. I'm back.
1: You're back. Back for many, many appearances. We're so pleased to have one of Nori's customers and partners here Imogen Heap, artist, tech innovator, longtime Ethereum supporter, and recent partner of Nori's in negating the emissions from your recent NFT minting. Hey, Imogen.
2: Hello. Very happy to be here with you all.
1: I'm really sorry to have to do this to you, Imogen, but my generationally, I just so thoroughly associate you with Garden State. Is that okay to say? Does everyone say that to you?
2: That's okay. No, you're either in the Garden State camp or you're in the OC camp. So I think you're slightly <laughs> cooler. <Right>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. There is an independent movie. It's slightly here. older as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. There's an independent movie theater in Phoenix called Camel View, which sadly is shut down now. But this is where all the cool kids from high school would uh, troop out to watch smaller, yeah, independent and foreign films. And I was one of those pretentious kids. And I remember watching Garden State in the theater. And yeah, very prominent in my my memory. And so a lot of surreal nostalgia happening for me right now. So thanks for indulging that.
2: There you go. Don't let go, jump in, where were you waiting for? The extra nostalgia free. I didn't Piling want to ask you charm. to do it, but you did, thank you. I would never have done it if you'd asked me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. Okay,
1: I'm blushing. That's, that's, yeah, quite a thing for me. Yeah, but I would,
2: I'd like to very much thank Zank Braff and the team there for making such an awesome soundtrack, because it kind of set off an era of brilliant soundtracks that... Uh, you know, lifted quite a lot of artists out of obscurity and gave a lot of us, I know, our first legs into the industry on a wider scale. So it was just a, kind of annoying the timing because I was in that band, me and Guy were, in, were through, through, through and through. Except this, this, uh, yeah, that film came out about two years after we split up because basically nobody was giving us any breaks at all. You know, the label didn't, didn't push us in any way. And it was all a bit sad. And so we were just like, well, we can't make a living like this. Let's just go off and try and make a living doing our other things. And then about a year later, actually, the, the Garden State movie came out. And everyone was like, who's Fru-Fru? I want to go see Fru-Fru, Fru-Fru, Fru-Fru. And there were nowhere to be seen. So it's very sad.
1: That is sad. That montage, though, with Let Go my Fru-Fru, that, that's got to be... The thing that everyone remembers it's certainly the first thing i think of that plus where his wallpaper and his shirt matches i think of that too
2: yeah yeah oh what was yeah. that song i can't remember that but yeah that was a, that was a good moment
1: <laughs> <laughs> well okay i'm happy to take a stroll down memory lane but also there are important things to discuss here particularly you've been involved in the blockchain space longer than many many people how did this happen and why is it important to you
2: yeah it was about it was almost exactly six years ago bit longer. My friend Zoe Keating was around my house. I'd just given birth to a very lovely daughter, Scout, who's now six and a half. And I was just lamenting at the state of the music industry and how frustrating it was that we couldn't just organise data better and that there wasn't like one consistent place which everybody went to for information that was verified about a work, that it was really hard to know where songs were played and who was involved in songs? There was hardly any credits anywhere, other than you know it used to be on liner notes. But you know, I feel almost like a mother when I put—I mean, I am a mother, but like a mother to my songs—and kind of that I am responsible to make sure that everybody is credited correctly and that they're paid correctly. And it's quite an arduous journey to to make sure that that happens because you've got to get lots of identifiers and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I was just kind of hoping that there would be this one place. And when I heard about blockchain tech through Zoe. I just felt there was something in this amazing tech that needed a bit more attention. And I, I just got very kind of obsessed through many nights and then spoke to a few people, namely Vinay Gupta, from who was the launch lead of uh, Ethereum. And he really inspired me to just go forth and think more and do some hacks and explore oh. what we could do and think about smart contracts. And um, so he was a big influence in why I had the energy or guts to do anything because he's like yeah this is a great idea you should go off and go go and explore I will help you and he came to our he came to our hacks and um I had many conversations with him and so yeah he's a big influence
0: that's so cool I didn't know that yeah we're pretty good friends with the VNA as well and um have partnered with Materium his uh current company yeah.
2: on some stuff yeah, too. Yeah
0: so okay um, what, that's, are
2: you, what are you doing with materium to start up interest
0: uh or maybe very it's similar thing to what you did actually you. so they wanted to make carbon neutral gold transactions okay. on materium
2: yeah and, and then he's got this whole other thing about his hexa yet, that really he yes yeah. to create these like you know housing for disaster spaces that need housing and that's his whole kind of drive i think to like make sure that that happens but in the meantime he's doing these awesome things he's just like a man of wonders. Yeah, we deeply uh, inspiring.
0: We got connected to him through this other blockchain project that we were friendly with a couple of years ago. And when we um, Ross and I passed through London, I think that was in 2018. It was, yeah, it would have been like three years ago, and uh, managed to get some of his time. And we we had the like most wild three hour conversation <laughs> talking about like the future of like refugee nation states and. Mm satellite guns and ai drone warfare but also (laughs) like dating apps and it was (laughs) (laughs) he's got thoughts on all of it
2: yeah yeah Yeah. he's he's really amazing
1: yeah is your main interest in blockchain primarily about the crediting and the payment for musicians i have friends um, in the music industry i know it takes a very long time to settle and get paid for various types of sales especially digitally it's not very transparent it doesn't seem very artist friendly i see a lot of complaints from my musician friends so you're trying to untangle that entire confusing nexus
2: well i think really all i really wanted to do was just kind of share the block like other musicians were doing as well at the time i just for some reason got a bit more airspace just wanted to share a vision of a future for for the musician and kind of help drive any music industry executives that might want to be thinking about what they might be doing in five years' time to have a goal to a more sensible, transparent future that's sustainable for musicians rather than you know, us always having to fight our tiny corner. And that to enable and, and empower the music industry to always be ahead of the curve rather than having to fight for scraps for new services who want to innovate in the space, but it's hard for them to do so because the data is disorganised which means they often go to the major labels because that's where the only slightly organised data is in large volumes with the songs and innovate. You know, Then we get our Spotify's and our Deezer's and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But it is an Apple, obviously, iTunes, Apple Music it's called, sorry. But then in the process of doing that, the labels you know, get chunks up front for the privilege of using their music, of which the musicians don't see any of that. And then they negotiate these tiny royalty rates because that doesn't really matter to them because the labels have big chunks and it just makes it hard for any future music service any music service to innovate because there's this huge like financial leap that they have to do which means VC funding and I just want to make it easy for services who have great ideas to be able to just get out there and do them and create more opportunity and diversity in the commercial music space so that we aren't just left with a few Big, you know, companies dominating the environment for distribution of music and kind of make it more possible for others with bright ideas to do the same. And I think that the future yeah, is in the identity layer, is how can we enable and empower musicians to host their own data, centralising their own data and able to collectively have a really amazing, huge amounts of data that's very useful for services to be able to build new services on, but without those barriers. Um, but at the moment, they don't have a mechanism to do that. Um, we're like at the end of an email or a LinkedIn page. So that's what this creative passport thing is all about, really. That, that's kind of after six. well, after about three years of, I didn't ever want to make anything. I literally just was, I would have been quite happy to just try and make music again after the birth of my child. But then through the imagination of, this ecosystem that I called mycelia which is really just a metaphor for a kind of living breathing music space where everything contributes to everything else and it kind of creates these nice loops and we don't have just like one massive tree and all these tiny little weeds trying to make it you know or, or tiny little saplings trying to make a little trying to make a go of it and they're all dying because they can't get to the, the light but the mycelia is enabling us to all see the light and get get what we need the nutrients which is kind of the music makers um and i just feel like if that bit was organized and sorted and we were able to share publicly privately data that was useful to the industry then we could really shift things around and become the dominant force which we are but we're un- we're disempowered because we don't have a way to connect I kind of saw in those early hacks, tons of companies. I went to like a million conferences and did my bit and loads of music services had come up and they'd show me their awesome things. And, and I'm like, how are you dealing with the licensing? And they're like, oh God, they're just trying to do all licensing it's so hard. And then none of them see the light of day. Um, and it's just really a shame because just billions of pounds gets wasted every year. That hurdle. So... That's what we want to try and do, um, just to make it easier for people to innovate in the space and for musicians to get the data organised, to be prepared for any future exciting things that may happen.
0: (laughs) So why did you choose NFTs as the specific solution? And when you talk about NFTs, do you describe that in a specific way to the artists and the folks in your collective?
2: Yeah, I didn't consider that as being a solution. Uh, I considered that I was hoping that that would be a possibility to raise funds for our project that we're doing because it's it's self-funded primarily by me um, thanks to Harry Potter play income because I made the music to the Harry Potter play but then of course when the pandemic hit you know all that money just disappeared so like 75% of my income just disappeared overnight and all those people that I'd hired for the creative passport and my own team to kind of build out other projects were all in jeopardy you know so we did have furlough but it didn't didn't cover me you know quite a lot of the other stuff that was going on so We just needed, we were hoping that there might be a silver bullet in um, my relationship to blockchain of the past, that that might suddenly mean that I get, you know, money from people who believe that I was there at the beginning of Ethereum and let's give Imogen some money with her NFTs. But, you know, I realised very quickly that that just wasn't going to happen because just like anything releasing music, you can't just suddenly release music and expect it to make you know, bags of money, no matter who you are. You know, you've still got to go out there and let people know it's there and do the marketing and live the life and get on Clubhouse, you know, 24 hours a day and promote it. And I didn't do that because <laughs> I couldn't, I just didn't, I don't know, I was just naive. Like most people thought, oh, the NFT is this like success pill because we only heard about the really extreme successes of like millions of pounds. So there was this kind of like this gold rush idea that we could all suddenly, finally be able to earn money with nfts but it's misguided because it doesn't show you the what's under the tip of the iceberg of which i was one of them um but that's okay because it still raised quite a lot of money but not as much as we'd hoped otherwise i probably wouldn't have done it but now i've after time realized what more what an nft could be in my own musical environment and i'm quite excited about exploring that when i get my ducks in a row
1: Maybe we should explain a little bit what exactly is an NFT and uh, how you're using them. Assume that someone doesn't know what we're talking about. They've just seen someone obnoxiously repeat that acronym at them for now six months.
2: Okay. Well, even if I told you what the acronym meant, it probably wouldn't make any more sense, but um, an NFT stands for a non-fungible token, which means that you can't exchange it like for like for anything else. So if I had a pound coin and you had a pound uh, and and I wanted to give you a pound coin, you could go and use that pound coin and it would just be a pound coin. But if I gave you a very special teddy that I'd owned for, you know, my whole life and there's nothing else like it and it's completely that only one in the world, then that would be a different thing. And that's what these NFTs are essentially. They're like digital represent. They are digital pieces of art or a digital record of a transaction that happened that means that you own that thing. And so what, what I put out, I mean, people have been doing all kinds of things mainly around digital art. But primarily mine was around music, but I did work with a designer, a long collaborator, uh, Andy Kahn, who did the artwork, and my friend Tim Exel. It's very convoluted what we did. But essentially what ended up, people ended up buying, of which there were two buyers and there's still a couple out there, you know, there's still a couple of NFTs that we didn't sell for the price that we were hoping, a reserve price. So essentially they got a piece of audio that's like a minute long, but it's a looped event of like some audio for about seven to 10 seconds that's just looped around and around and then it's got a piece of visual attached to it that andy did and it sounds crazy saying that but anyway so they raised roughly well they raised two ether each and when you think about what it was which is like you know a very quickly put together piece of music on this app that i love called endless you know people weren't really buying it for what it was worth maybe they were buying it to support what i was doing And I think that's what NFTs kind of can be, is patronage. You know, you can go off and listen to that piece of music any time of day. It's like right up there on OpenSea, you can go and hear it. You know, I haven't released it on iTunes or anything like that because it's just like a looped bit of audio. But it's out there if anyone wants to listen to it. It's just that these two people wanted to have ownership of that thing, to say that they have ownership of that thing, and to show, I think, to show their support of what I'm doing. But every artist, every person who creates these NFTs is different there might be just some amazing film, short film that is an NFT and they might be able to do different things with that film. It's quite like kind of grey area about what you can do with that because one of the people that bought it was this guy Don Diablo who's a DJ, musician, very, very successful and he released his own NFTs and really he went for like loads of ether, you know, um, but he spent a very long time putting these amazing NFTs together and he really did like the whole shebang for like a year of raising awareness and doing all the chats. And then he sold it for, I don't know, it was like over a million dollars. And fair enough, you know, it's like a lot, a lot of effort. He lived and breathed it. And I just kind of like went, put it up, experiment and got some money out of it, you know, which I'm very grateful for because it does contribute, you know, quite a lot. And it was great to be able to share the Nori story and contribute to the conversation about environment and blockchain and just kind of raise awareness to some options that could be done so that for the time being, whilst it is not good for the environment, it's going to be way better for the environment than the oil dollar, you know, or, you know, in the future, it's, it's going to be amazing. It might just lift us out of the hole that we're in. But right now, it's not that. So there's that to contend with as well, those conversations on social media, which did get to me. Um, because it's hard to share the wider picture and share your belief and trust in a in a good future that these people, these developers are developing towards in 140 characters or whatever.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of just meme misunderstanding, maybe. The carbon emissions of blockchain stuff became like really widely discussed and talked about in the last few months i also think just to comment on what you're talking about like as you were trying to sell your nfts and like the timing in the market so i think like that that big one that people sold for like 69 million dollars that was maybe a month a month and a half before your nft drop was and you know corresponding also with the mark like overall crypto markets too i think this is a, a factor that these NFT sales and these auctions and stuff, they're all happening on blockchain. So on these big NFT platforms like OpenSea, where where yours was, and people are buying it with crypto. And just having been around in the crypto space for a long time, it does feel to me like there are people who are, they have a lot of crypto that they accumulated uh, a long time ago. And it's like easier for them to kind of Toss that around into other speculative investments when they're thinking about NFTs as speculative investments and that kind of thing. And then just unfortunately, like before your drop happened was when the most recent market peak happened. So as like overall crypto values were going down was when you're trying to launch into the marketplace. And so that was just Unfortunate timing, yeah. and it feels like NFTs as a as an asset class are still incredibly early. Because, as you said, like people haven't really figured out like all of the potential that they have.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad we did it. It was more like an experiment. It really was an experiment. I just had higher expectations because I desperately want to support this project, you know. So I just thought, because everyone around me was like, "Yeah, you're just going to do so well because you're like the Queen of Blockchain from 2000 and whatever it was." So I just believed that, you know. And then what? I was disappointed. In fact, it was quite. (laughs) I mean, you. I think you were there for when we we did the countdown. Um, We were still kind of clinging on to the hope that there might be you know some whales lurking and they might just suddenly pounce on it like an eBay you know at the end of an eBay but it just didn't happen <laughs> and then finally don don came in and like saved the day and kind of really added his weight to the conversation and bought 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 one of them bought the first one with the intention that he might work on it you know he said oh maybe we could turn this into a track and then it could be something else and it could be worth more money and then you know that could go to the creative passport so that would be win-win-win. That would be super amazing if that happened, and maybe it will. But it, I'm glad that I did it because I didn't understand the space really before I came into it, the NFT space. It, I just had been dealing with this creative passport thing over here and life over here and mother over here and just had really taken my head out of it and not really not really knew what was going on. So it's good to just go into it and kind of go, okay, this is where we're at now. And it has changed the way that I've thought about how I'm going to release music just as an artist. Kind of quite freeing in the thought that there's a space, there's a place emerging where you don't have to release a fully finished song, that you could kind of create collectible audio, shareable kind of nice items that people could have, like Cabbage Patch Kid cars or whatever, but just like really beautiful musical little moments, which is what endless I have not talk about endless, but what endless is doing, capturing the flow of creativity in the moment, being able to exhibit that rather than a final finished track, which can sometimes take, you know, a couple of months, if you are me. So it's something quite freeing about having these smaller instances of like micro releases that could be exchanged and, and enjoyed by the fans in a different way.
0: Would you do it differently if you did it again next time?
2: I would lower my expectations. <laughs> And I mean, I would probably do it differently because already the space has drastically changed even just in the last couple of months. I'm sure there's much easier ways to to do it. I mean, we did quite a complex convoluted way around of doing it we decided to kind of register them on cargo because we could then get permanent web storage with our weave for the items and then they would be up on the OpenSea marketplace so i kind of understood that you know how the wallet works and what what gets attributed to the wallet and you know all this stuff and then i kind of i really missed a trick on not putting my creative passport public profile you know in the metadata because that's the whole point it's like how do you know that that was image and heap that you know created that nft it could have just been anyone i mean it was me but you know that kind of identity bit linking to the nft is a key thing for kind of authentication so yeah i would i would definitely think differently about it and that's what i'm trying to do kind of now is just thinking holistically about all the bits of my career and how I can connect the creative passport, my identity there, with my app that I have with my fans, with maybe verifiable credentials to when they have achieved a goal or they've collaborated with me in a certain way and then how that can be used maybe it's a kind of token or currency with other artists. You know, like my fans might get uh, kind of 10% off one of my friends' gigs or but by by kind of collecting these verifiable credentials as a kind of, milestone in, in our fan in the fandom artist relations. I mean I've just done loads of collaborations with my fans, so making music or doing artwork together or videos together or, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, just I suppose it was just good because all of this stuff just I was like, okay, so that thing that we were hoping would happen six years ago, that's now called this. And that thing that we were kind of imagining looks a bit like this is actually called this. And just kind of putting names to things which now have emerged and are like very bi- verifiable credential, kind of more into the, the general name space, like the general vocabulary of tech vocabulary of what's becoming the norm is helping us too.
0: Were there things that the tools themselves should have done differently in order to kind of anticipate those needs? Or were there parts of the, the process that were harder or easier because of the tools that you had or the, the understanding that
2: you were able to have when you went into that process? I found it extremely confusing. I had to create an identity with OpenSea and I had to have a login, also a wallet connected to Cargo. And then how we inputted the, the metadata was really quite complex. Uh, we had to put some code in there. I mean, I didn't do it myself. We had uh, this guy called Sam Parker, who was the lead of the kind of NFT launch and all the stuff around it. But I was there with him kind of going through and trying to understand it because that's what also why I was doing it. I was like, I need to figure this out. But um, it doesn't need to be like that. You know, at the moment we're talking in terms of like, it doesn't really feel very musicy. It's like this thing called OpenSea and there's a cargo and there's Arweave and there's like, it's not very, doesn't really make any sense. It hasn't been branded in a way that kind of a journey that makes sense. It's just kind of like, you just got to find your own way. But, you know, already there's companies that are just going to make it, are already making it easy for you just to take it. They take a percentage and they create the NFT for you. Guiding you as well, perhaps into how you might want to represent your copyright or that what that NFT gives you right to do. Cause there's no protection or kind of regulation, which is fun too, you know, but it also could maybe bite some people, including me in the bum later on when you're, they're like, no, I paid 2000, whatever for that. I own this. I'm going to make a car. I don't, I don't know what they would do with it, but and they, I don't know how they could make a car with a piece of music, but you know, that they might decide to release it and not give me any money for it or something because there's absolutely no contract that says they can't do that. We're just hoping that people don't. <laughs> but there should have been. But that's the thing. It's like we're, we're just learning as we go. But it's important that I think, you know, artists who are inclined and have the freedom to experiment should because we need to figure out what this space is going to be and we need to play a part in, in that, not just, you know, the next record label or the next whatever coming up with solutions for us we need to be driving that that future
0: so what do you think that that future is going to be
2: well i think that the creative passport <laughs> is there to kind of help us verify ourselves so that we don't have to constantly verify ourselves um, wherever we go and then we can link that to our our musical persona um or our monikers or our bands there the idea that ultimately that you would put a song up wherever that is all of the users or all of the collaborators on that on that work are registered really easily, something like the Creative Passport, but some identity that links it to them. And that all of this is going to a place which is shared by everyone, whether you're a radio station, a film company, a stream, a distribution, you know, streaming, whatever, that you have everything you need and absolutely no excuse not to pay anyone. And, you know, it's like 90%, 99% more automated than it is now. And we don't have like multiple bad data everywhere you go. Fragmented databases, just millions of hours of people's time every year solving the same problems over and over again for their databases and not for others. And all that money obviously gets taken off the top from Music Makers currently, like 50% of our royalties don't reach us and that's a ridiculous amount of inefficiency going to the wrong people but that's the problem it's like there's no incentive at the moment because that 50% goes to other people so their incentive wants to keep the system as it is but I think the shift is happening the trick is that we just need to make something that is so ridiculously simple and sensible and these kind of incumbents that are there currently it would be like business suicide not to use these tools and that's that's need to get to which we we can but i think it's a soft slow thing it's not a kind of like cut and slash and burn and let's create the new music industry it's this kind of we have to do it softly because otherwise we also potentially might, you know, just really make it hard for those musicians who aren't in the space currently and who are just locked into the old world, just being taken advantage of again by the labels with some new distribution mechanism that they just pile onto an old contract with the same terrible percentage royalty, so yeah, I think what I what I just want to see is a musician being able to put up a piece of work. It's kind of effortless. Part of the journey has already been done already in the studio, where you're the songwriter, you're producer, you're the clarinettist, whatever you are. That's in the door in your work process. That's already happening. It's already you know kind of accessing, sharing information on the blockchain. That's then seen by other parties connected to your identities. It's shared with the publisher, the label, the distribution, everyone. And it's just one long journey. And then finally, it's a thing and it's out there and ready to do business with the world. And it's kind of packed with amazing metadata to help it be discoverable and to help curation in the music space. Whether you're using a running app or a sex app or whatever you want to be using music for, that they can get the music that they need and you can get paid. And we can have this like incredible, alive a music ecosystem with, like, thousands more services and thousands, just tons more choice, good, healthy competition, you know, monopolies, goodbye, and allow musicians to kind of define their own little ecosystems so that you know, I might have seven smaller companies that I like to work with or seven smaller services that suit me as an artist because of the types of things that I do. And communities start to kind of form around these places. I almost see this, like, the song... Being a service rather than the service for the songs, that the song itself has layers and layers of data and information and interactive kind of points that services can plumb into and access and pay for, so that the the data, the people that provided that data, should there be musicians or labels or whatever, receive money for that at every given instance. That's what I'd like to see.
0: That it's a really cool vision. It makes a lot of sense to me, and just like having been in the blockchain space a long time, it's like. Obviously, this is the way to, to accomplish that. You know, since we did this with you, we've actually had quite a few different both NFT marketplaces and other artists come to us and want to deal with their carbon emissions, too. Um, so I wanted to ask, like, what uh, like what drove you to want to to seek that out? Because, you know, you mentioned like these various different services that uh, artists and creators would need. And it seems like this is perhaps one of those.
2: Yeah, I'm so happy about that, by the way. That's like the best thing that's come from the whole project is that other artists and services are coming to you doing their bit. I'm just so happy about that. Whatever happens, that's great. And I, I really think what you do, what you guys do is, is brilliant and should be supported. And it's so great that you make it really easy for musicians to do that and anyone to do that. I mean, it's so easy to just go to your website and, and do the right thing. But then you could have these certificates at the end. And in, you know, in time, it'd be great to be able to, that could be something that would, be, you know, one of the onion layers of the song would be that the carbon captured is a kind of related to the song and over time it becomes that becomes a metric that you can share. Or that might be something that could be curated, you know, that radio stations only play music that has captured, you know, a hundred tons of carbon, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh-huh. Or on carbon day, carbon removal day. Um, you know, whatever. Just like that's the, the kind of unique intersections of information that the metadata could have where really great things can be done. But at the moment, none of that exists and it's all separated and kind of, there's these bits of information that I myself as the artist have to make sure that they're somehow remembered or posted somewhere and I have to manage that storyline. But ultimately I want the songs to do that or I want the creative passport to do that in terms of like milestones and achievements that you can easily showcase those uh, and other artists can confirm the things that you've done or other companies or you know for commissions or being in a tv show or winning a grammy or whatever it is that there's kind of proof verifiable proof uh, of those things happening to help you get work you know just like anyone it's like a amazingly interactive future of work space because at the moment the musicians are like crammed into stuffed into this one song there's the name of the song and there's the name of the artist and there's the length of time and maybe it's on a playlist, but there's no real, real other way you can find it. But if you could search through music about a certain city or music that only gives 50% of their profits to a cancer charity or I don't know what, you know, then people could support the things that they care about just by playing their music. And you could go on all kinds of journeys around that if it was all linked up. Yeah, for me, that was like the very first example that I wanted to share of how I think a song can not just, you know, distribute money back to the artist, but can also be a showcase of things that you believe in, that in time, you know, you can have a dashboard where that doesn't have to stay like that. Like, it might not be that one song always donates 90% of its profits or 5% of its profits to whatever it could be that it does a year of that and then a year of another one and then a year of another one and, you know, or depending on whatever's going on in your life. So, you know, it's quite clunky to do um, at the moment, like once it's written in, it's written in. But I, I like the idea of just showcasing that obviously with NFTs or, you know, we can just distribute those funds however we feel. It's not defined by an industry which says, well, 50% of that goes to songwriter, and 50% of that goes to the this and, and then it's divided up by this depending on who's featured and who's not featured. Like... That's good for some things. But wouldn't it be great if you could also just define how much of your profits or where they should go? You know, it's a lot of admin to have to write a check out to whoever, you know, every quarter or, you know, even that's a pain in the ass for me to do right now. With the wallet and the money coming in, I have to individually, uh, that's not connected to a smart contract which is really frustrating because that's the only thing that Tiny Human did six years ago, this one song that I released, which was the first piece of music to use a smart contract. That's the thing that it did. It like distributed monies to to Wallet. It was created specifically for that case, whereas there are things off the shelf, but not with OpenSea. Well, there might be now.
1: You referred to the social media response to your NFT minting, Imogen. Discourse around NFTs and blockchain in general tends to be quite polarised. People either think that it's a solution in search of a problem, it doesn't do anything, it's only wasted energy, and then there are people who think literally everything can be put on a blockchain of some variety, even in some cases where you're like, this is probably not the best solution for this particular problem set. The truth is probably somewhere in between. What do you think the critics of your NFT minting
2: got right, and what do you think they got wrong? Well, they did get right that it is harmful to the environment right now. That's true. It's hard to compare it to the existing uh, money space. I mean, it must be comparable or more. It's just we're just used to it. You know, like printing money, the the systems and the banks and the movement of money and all that must be loads more. But it's new and it is directly expressing a ton of heat out there, which is not good. So I I hear them and I agree with them. But I just, it was, it's very polarised, isn't it? It's hard to just go yes i I do agree with you and but i but i don't i didn't appreciate the i'm basically canceling you because you've done this thing and i'm this little bit that i know or maybe they know a lot you know but they just have a difference of opinion i felt really sad about it because i was like i'm not that person you know i do think things through carefully i haven't done this to like buy myself a lamborghini that was coincidental that just
1: happened the week after just by accident oh yeah yeah
2: (laughs) That's right. Um, yeah, don't tell anyone. So it's just hard to get that across, and I just got tired. I mean, I, I get tired often of Twitter, and I just thought it just yeah, it really emotionally affected me, and I kind of went went into a slump for a long time because I just. I could only see that I could only read I could only read the negative things and I took those in. It's much easier as we know to take those in than it is the positives. Um there were lots of positives. But did that thing and then the next week or whatever the announcement came out that we've you know, a hundred times the amount of carbon that we would have, you know, put into the atmosphere, we've taken out if you equate it, you know, in the way that people do. And that was big news on my side. I was like, this is great news. You know, this is amazing. We've like, I've basically, my carbon footprint of the year has been eradicated, you know, and many other people just by this small bit of audio. But that positivity wasn't shared to the same degree as the negativity. But yeah, you know, that's just, I guess I'd, from that moment, I was like, oh, okay, I can't take this personally because that's just, that's just silly. Why can't they share the positive just as much?
1: Paul, well, I think you had some estimate for NFT mintings' carbon emission footprint. What was that again? 0.2 metric tons.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was about it was about 0.2 tons. It's about two hundred kilograms of CO two, approximately, for like one transaction of an NFT on Ethereum in a sort of standardized unit kind of way. Which uh, and then. Uh, Imogen mentioned 100 times, so it was 20 tons that were removed from that first NFT sale, which is like really significant compared to the amount of emissions created. And who knows also how much of, that, how much of those emissions were from like renewable energy sources too. Like That's assuming a worst-case scenario.
2: What was really lovely was to be able to connect the farmer yeah. to the song and have this kind of very organic human connection to a very digital piece of art, like the soil and yeah. the farmer and the money was going to that person. and I, That's what I really like about uh, Nori is that it kind of humanizes the whole process and it becomes about people doing the yeah. right thing. And oh, I can't remember his name. Was it Gary something? Ke-
0: Kelly Garrett.
2: Yeah. Ke- Kelly Garrett. Yeah. And you know, him also just him getting pulled into the conversation as yeah. well, just like <laughs> people having a go that. at him and then him standing up for it and just going, no, but you don't understand this is, this is not like, you know, those kind of scam things. This is real and I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, that was really fun for us to watch, it just like happen in real time on Twitter. We were just like sharing those in our Slack and watching it. So yeah, that's exactly what I want to see.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Imogen, besides someone going back and rewatching the Lonely Island video that we also didn't mention at the beginning of the show, but we love from SNL.
0: <laughs> that's another that's oh, other. So. It, their, it was their OC parody. Yeah.
2: Oh, I didn't know it's called Lonely Island. I thought it's called Dear Sister.
0: Oh yeah 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 yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, the Dear Sister. Yeah. Oh, that's so just what's, Andy What's the
2: Lonely Island?
1: That's just the name of their like creative group, the guys who made oh. it. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry,
2: I should know that. Uh,
1: yeah, it
2: changed my life. Changed my life. <laughs> um, well, basically, it changed. It did change my life because the thread of events was: it got into the OC, then SNL parodied it without asking me permission, and then later got it. Meanwhile, <laughs> thousands of people took to YouTube and created their own parodies. And then somebody had the bright idea that that particular section of that song was because it was a meme would be worth putting in a song and sold it to Jason Derulo's producer R.T. Rotem and then he I don't know what gave that person the right to sell it to R.T. Rotem because it's like it's mine but anyway um, <laughs> sold it to R.T. Rotem because he, I know I know he also gave it to another artist who I met and he was like yeah yeah he he, he also asked us if we wanted to do it and we were going to do it but then this guy and Jason really got there first and then they released it I and mean, they, they asked me and I listened to it and I was like that's really good you know it's a really good piece of music he'd never released anything before and I was like sure I mean I say yes to pretty much everything, unless it's really offensive and like awful, then I I say no. But mostly I just feel like, Well the song's the song's out there, you need to let it live and you know, have babies with whoever it wants to have babies with. And I've heard thousands, maybe not thousands, but definitely top, lots of hundreds of versions of that song. And I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was. So I was like, sure, go for it. And then, like, the next month, it was all over the radio and, like, number one in the UK, in the US, in Australia, everywhere. And it basically enabled me to buy my house. Um <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you very much, SNL. So. <laughs> So I'm glad they didn't get permission in time. I mean, if they had, if they tried to ask me, maybe they wouldn't have done it. Maybe they would have gone, I mean, I would have said yes. But it's just amusing. Like, that's the thing. It's like, the reason why Let Go got into Garden State in the first place is because another band, who shall re- remain nameless, said no to the original piece of music that they wanted to use there. And it took them a really long time to, to discover that. So they had it in the movie for ages, and it was, like, ready to go. And then they just couldn't get permission for any money at all. This band never let people use this song. And so that's when they, like, panicked. And um is it Mandy Moore? I think, like put it in the trailer, and then sent it to our publishers. She said, oh, what about this song? I think it was Zach Braff. Mandy, did Mandy Moore used to go out with Zach Braff? I don't know. I, don't, I vaguely remember the name Mandy Moore. Anyway, it's I think so she was involved ago. somehow. Yeah. And so we got the information into our email that just said they would like to use this song in a film, and here's the synopsis, and it's like two thousand pounds per side, and we were like, okay, that sounds good, and it was called Larges Ark, I think, at the time, which is the name of the coal, the mine or
0: something, that quarry at the end,
2: the quarry, yeah, Mm -hmm. and so we said, yeah, go for it. And then all this stuff happened and then it went massive and then everyone was wondering who we were, but we'd already split up at that point. But what I'm trying to say is that whole process of like licensing a piece of work and spending months and months of stress about whether you can use a piece of music in the song or not shouldn't happen. You know, that should be really easy. And that's another kind of plus point that could happen if the song linked back to a point of contact, say a creative passport or somewhere where you could, the song itself, gave you the information that you needed should you want to license it or a bot kind of fielded some information from you and then maybe you got through if you put a certain amount of money and I don't know but it's ridiculous that people like that should they really just want to get creative and make a piece of work that they have to go through these months of arduous kind of torturous conversations with people to try and license a work and then they get a no anyway we got lucky because they said no but when we said yes instantly because we're like nobody and we liked the idea of the film.
1: Well, definitely a lot of respect for the sort of open source remixing ethos. I think there takes a lot of courage to trust that that process will work out for you rather than the hold everything really tightly, hoping you can extract as much money from the deal at the outset as you can. I'm sure there's a place for that too. I'm sure people have been taken advantage of by having their works in an unlicensed way used and someone else has monetized it and that person hasn't benefited, but it sounds like there are cases where, oh, for sure. But there are some beautiful upsides to it potentially too, like when Lonely yeah. Island just makes fun of your work and then it exactly. <laughs> leads to you buying a house. So,
2: okay, exactly. exactly. It all works out in the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, well, I started off that question by just asking, how can people follow you? How can people support your work moving forward besides rewatching those YouTube clips?
2: <laughs> they don't really help me at all uh, oh, to be okay honest. they, they help to sony maybe my, my <laughs> a tiny amount helps Sony, but in a few years time those licenses will be mine again which is very exciting okay so if you want to support me and you like hearing me ramble on then you can go and join my app which is image and there's like every single demo i've ever done stuff that i'm working on right now uh conversations that i have i have a chair in my house here where i talk to my fans and we are developing my AI self slowly but surely hopefully over the years so we're kind of creating a knowledge store of information through our question and answers and they're contributing the work to this knowledge store it's very exciting wait so Um, is there
0: a future where there's like an image in chatbot that
2: there's already one oh wow yeah cool yeah yeah but you can't you can't go and check it out unless you go to my app because it's very much under under wraps just like we're just testing it out but it's just a kind of fun project we've been doing for about a year in fact we we had a birthday cake for a imogen augmented imogen a couple of weeks ago because it was her birthday (laughs) or it's their birthday i don't know how they will (laughs) present themselves in years to come um so yeah if you want to kind of join in the madness just go to imageandheap.app and if you'd like to support the creative passport um if you're a musician and you'd like to donate then you could do that too just go to creativepassport.net or sign up you know Uh, it doesn't really do anything at the moment it's just a, a case of like getting numbers of people in there who believe in this future and together we will we will find a way by developing it uh, together, which we're doing. So yeah, just come and join in to that future space, build it together with us now. It's really good, there's a great community there. So yeah, there's two ways.
1: Thanks for being on the show and thanks for working with us. We're so happy to have you as a Nori customer and partner and thanks Imogen, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure.
1: (laughs) And thanks Paul and Evangeline. Yeah, thank you, that was fun.
2: Yeah. Thank yes.
1: Yeah. And if you like the show, please give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. And uh, hey, go interact with an AI version of Imogen. That sounds pretty fun. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.